What's up, squad? This is Chico Leo, and welcome to another episode of Scream Squad. Uh, unfortunately, this week, Jamie is off in Transylvania. She is actually purchasing a new Iron Maiden for the dungeon and uh, couldn't, couldn't make a flight back in time. So uh, we are lucky enough to be joined in the dungeon this week by none other than Outlaw Bar's very own Deadly Diva. Hey everyone! Welcome. This is not a mistake. I'm really here. Absolutely no. We've been we've been meaning to get you uh, over into the dungeon for a while. Um, so for people who don't know, Outlaw Bars is uh, well. Why don't you why don't you explain uh, explain explain who you are and what you do? So I am your friendly neighborhood deadly diva, and I, along with Bruja Banton and Simply Chopay, host Outlaw Bars. We talk about everything that's great. And not so great in the world of anime. If you've listened to Outlaw Bars, that should sound really familiar. Because <laughs> that's and we uh, we we. It's actually the timing is is actually great to have you on because this is um, Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and so we decided to talk about some uh, Asian and I guess not really any Pacific Islander, but. Um, Asian horror movies, and we've included some anime in there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, so this week uh, we will be talking about, uh, well, why don't we start? We can start off with, with Perfect Blue, which was uh, Diva's suggestion, and I had never seen, and uh, is not actually a new movie. Um, so when did you first see Perfect Blue? Last week after I suggested it to you guys, because... Oh, um, okay, all right. <laughs> No, because I am the resident chicken shit of the Outlaw Bars crew. I don't do scary. I don't do things that go bump in the night. So this was a labor of love because I scare really easily. So I had to find something that kind of fit theme, but wouldn't freak me out too much. So yeah, so this was uh, Perfect Blue, which came out actually in 1997, um, is more of like a psychological horror movie, but it, it actually fits a bunch of the themes that we've talked about on this show, um, you know, in terms of like doubling. And so it, it stars, um, I mean, it well, it stars. It's uh, the main character, Mima, is um, she's in it. She's a J-pop star who becomes an actress and she becomes, she uh joins i guess uh it's it's a it's a series right it's a it's a crime like a crime series yeah so when it starts mima is part of this kind of a floundering j-pop group and she decides she wants to be an actress she joins the crew of a um the cast rather of a of a it's a drama series called double bind where basically there's a serial killer going about and her sister was a victim of that serial killer and then it gets like weird towards the end with regard to like that series and what's going on in her world. Right. After she leaves the group, um, some of her fans are pissed. And so she gets like she she gets a fax, you know, fax machines are big in Japan still, um, you know, calling her a traitor. There's uh, a website that, you know, has diary entries that are supposedly written by her, but are in fact not written by her. And, um, and of course the, you know, the, the name of the show double bind, I mean, there's definitely doubling going on, um, in, in the show and then bind, um, 
she I don't know if this is I'm just reading too much into it. So she ends up like uh, I would even say like trigger warning, whatever. She ends up in a in a pretty nasty rape scene in the show that sort of traumatizes both her and her manager, Rumi, who's an ex pop star. Yeah, I'm like, there are, like, layers on layers of this. Like, if you're familiar with, like, the J-pop formula, even, like, the K-pop formula, they're really, really keen on your image to the point where they filter out who you date, whether you can date, um, the types of roles that you can take. So Rumi's concerns about Mima taking this role where her character is a stripper and gets raped are legitimate when you consider the the J-pop machine. But then you also have to add in that layer where Rumi was a J-pop star herself. So she has like that that knowledge of it. And then the way that she acts, I guess like you see it towards the end, wasn't so much concern as maybe self-preservation. I don't know. Well, I don't know. All right, so right after this, several several of the crew, um, I think like the, uh, the cinematographer and the writer, um, the show's main writer, are murdered. And it seems like someone is setting Mima up you know, to frame her. And I think, is she also sort of beginning to have like a little bit of like a breakdown or whatever? Yeah. Um, because she's starts definitely. seeing stuff that isn't there. And um, there's actually like, she's got a stalker who's showing up for a lot of the shoots. And so she starts wondering herself, like, could I be doing this? Like, you know, could I be blacking out and being the killer? Um and it it turns out, I mean, should we, you know, spoil, you know, spoiler. It's it's 20 years old at this point. There's no spoilers for 20-year-old things. That's right. So so Rumi is the killer, right? Yeah, Rumi ends up being the killer. And she's been pretending to be Mima. Like, she's been writing the, you know, the, the diary entries. And um, I guess she's, you know... She she's jealous or she she feels like, uh, you know, Mima is ruining her own career and Rumi herself, I guess, you know, is trying to live, you know, live her, you know, whatever out through Mima's career. No, it's it's odd because Rumi definitely has an issue and it all kind of starts at the scene where um, Mima's playing the stripper who gets sexually assaulted in the club, because that's the point where Mima starts to kind of question the road that she's taken and Rumi obviously can't handle it. And if you even look back to her former um, bandmates who are talking about her and like her situation afterwards and like that's the sketchy photographer who ends up getting killed, they're like, oh, well, you know, he's known for, you know, making people take off their clothes. And they're like, oh, well, Mima should be, you sorry, Mima should be used to this by now. And it's like, because they've kind of tossed her away too. Because once again, like she's damaging to their overall brand. So everybody's trying to distance themselves from her while she's trying to build this whole new thing that she has going on. And the stalker was there like from the very beginning, like he was starting fights with rowdy fans and he's showing up on sets to the point where he was actually it was he was the one who was writing the website, but Rumi was feeding him information. Oh, okay. Because remember right, at the okay. end where he tries to assault Mima, yeah, what, what ends up happening? And he was like, the real Mima told me that you're trying to destroy her image and I'm not going to let you do that and we're going to basically take you down. So Rumi is pretending to be the quote unquote real Mima. Yes, Rumi is pretending to be the real Mima. And at this point, there was like a good 30 minutes or so where I couldn't tell what was reality and what was fiction between 
Mima's blackouts and the flashbacks and the way that the show was mirror the show that she's working on is mirroring her reality. Was, right, right, right. <laughs> it was a whole lot to take in. So she ends up obviously. So she gets the uh, the stalker actually thinks that he's you know saving the real Mima by killing the or you know he's going to actually rape the fake Mima and it is in fact the real Mima and she you know saves herself she hits him in the head with a hammer um, and then discovers that um, when she's you know confronted by this image of herself that it's actually Rumi and um, you know sort of rips off Rumi's wig literally <laughs> and um, they uh, they fight. And then um, Mima actually saves Rumi's life um, in the fight. She pulls her away from, like, they, she almost gets run over by a truck. Um, but, uh, you know, they they think the, you know, I think they're both sort of out of it at this point or whatever. Like, they mistake the truck for, you know, sort of the light, the camp, you know, the lights that you have. On, yeah, on that's set. what got Rumi caught up. She thought the, right. the lights from the truck were stage lights. And Mima didn't have to save her. She could have let her get hit by the car and all no one would have faulted her. Because at this point, Mima's been injured by Rumi. Like, Rumi's been trying to actively stab her. Right, she stabbed her. Yeah, yeah, With an umbrella. Oh, yeah, I couldn't even... Yeah, right, exactly. So, she ends up... So, Rumi ends up... It's sort of the end is almost like sort of like Psycho. um, In that Rumi ends up in, in a mental institution, totally believes that she is Mima... And the real Mima, um, who's now a successful actress, um, you know, is looking at her through the glass. And um, even, uh, you know, the nursing staff know that, you know, Rumi is like a fake, you know, a fake Mima, Mima lookalike or whatever. And so they think the real one is actually, why would, why would, why would the real Mima, you know, visit a mental institution? And so Mima goes to her car and looks in the mirror and she's like, I'm the real, no, I'm the real one or I'm the real thing. And, uh, and it ends. She's the real thing. Yeah, that, that movie was a lot. So I I don't know is that I mean is there anyone like does that have any significance in uh, in anime like the uh, you know was the director oh of course so the director is Satoshi Kon and one of his trademarks is kind of blurring the lines between like reality and fiction within his works so if you look at this if you look at Paprika um, and even if you've seen the anime series um, Paranoid Agent which oh is, yeah yeah that's his work as well. Because that was actually, so when watching this, it was kind of, it was weird. You know, you didn't know what was the show and what was real at times. Um, and actually, I thought in, in I've never seen actually anime or even other, you know, American animation actually doing, um, you know, film, you know, behind the scenes film stuff, film crews or whatever, like as realistically as this. Like you've sort of, you've seen that a lot in live action stuff, but you, they actually capture you know, being on a film set and, and what that's like. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, what they definitely do blur the lines without a doubt. Um, and so there were times when I was watching it that I wasn't sure what was what, um, which of course that's what's happening to Mima as well. So you're sort of in, in her shoes. Um, so moving from, uh, from, from Japan and moving from anime to uh, live action and to Korea is a tale of two sisters, which actually turns out to be the first um, was the first uh, Korean horror film that was ever actually screened in um, America. And I think it's the highest grossing 
Korean horror movie. Um, I know there was that one recently, um, The Host, but I think this one actually still has has out outgrossed that. Um, and it was remade here as The Uninvited, which I didn't see, but is considered, I think, to be pretty bad. Yeah. Did you ever see The, un- the Uninvited? No, I didn't see The Uninvited. Once again, Captain Chicken Shit. So. Yeah, well... <laughs> So this one, in some ways, starts off where Perfect Blue ends up. Because this one starts off where a girl is in a mental institution, Sue Me. Um, and like um, Perfect Blue, Tale of Two Sisters also features a fair amount of the th- different themes that we've talked about on the show. Including doubling, killer kids, um, ghosts. Uh, but this one starts out, so the other one ends up in, a, in with a character in a mental institution, and this one starts out with, um, you know, Sumi, who's the main character, is in a, in a mental institution, and um, she does, she's not, the doctor is questioning her, and she doesn't, she doesn't answer, her hair is all up in her face, and, uh, but they let her go, and so she um, pretty quickly returns, you know, home. Uh, and her family lives in like the countryside um and it's her father and her younger sister and her stepmother and um i don't know the whole family dynamic is very weird and you realize that you know obviously th- things are things are not normal um and uh sumi's mother has died that's why she has this this stepmother and i think the first night back she has like this nightmare um she imagines um her real mother the ghost of her um and there's blood pouring like down from between her legs and then all of the women in the family they all have their periods at the same time which i guess that does happen in real life but I don't know. Um, not to that extent. So, as, no, as the no, woman well, certainly here. not to that extent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, within a few days, within a week or so, but I've never seen it. Perhaps it has happened, but not in my experience. So, Sumi, um, you know, basically looking at photos. Um, I don't know if she's, like, because she was in the mental institution, if she doesn't remember. But it's clear that the stepmother was actually the nurse for her mother when her mother was dying um and um she discovers bruises on her sister and thinks that the um the stepmother is you know beating her or you know doing something or whatever um and so um there's like a dinner party and the um stepmother's uh that was a very painful like yes painful dinner party like Thank the stepmother's yes, ter- wanna... telling this odd story that no one can follow. And she's like, don't you guys remember? And they're like, no, none of this actually happened. <laughs> and she's like, are you crazy? They're like, no, you're making stuff up. So then at the dinner party, one of the women has has like, uh, I guess, a seizure or something. And she tells her uh, husband that she saw a ghost, a uh, young girl under the kitchen sink. Um, and so the stepmother actually goes to look for the ghost and, um, I guess a hand comes out and grabs her. So, I mean, there's definitely like, we're in like some kind of weird haunted house. Um, and so 
again, it's not clear what's going on in, you know, Sumi's head and like, you know, sort of similar again to Perfect Blue and what's happening in, you know, in, in, in the real, in the real life. Um, but, um, I guess, uh, so what happens next is like, uh, the, the, the pet bird gets killed. Yeah, that was, uh, it, okay. Now that I, like, I know where it all went, but it was, odd. it was like, how did the bird end up? in the younger sister's bed and the stepmother wasn't particularly pleased about the bird being killed apparently. Right. So at a certain point here, the, the stepmother actually um, locks, um, locks the younger sister in, in the closet. Um, she thinks the younger sister killed the bird and Sumi actually, you know, uh, lets her go. And um, Sumi's, uh, father comes in who has been sort of like all uh, i mean i don't know how would you describe him i mean he's sort of shell shot yeah he's kind of detached from from whatever's going on in his house yes exactly exactly there's kind of all this crazy stuff going on with his daughters with his wife um but then it's basically revealed that uh the younger daughter the younger sister rather who we've seen throughout the whole movie and sumi is really excited to hang out with she's actually the only one that sumi is excited to see when she comes back from the mental institution that actually she's dead um and that's obviously either a ghost or a vision that you know that sumi has been seeing so um uh I don't know. From here, it, it gets really crazy. I mean, apparently, this is based on a real Korean um, ancient folktale. Yeah, but I, there were some liberties taken with it, I believe. Um, I believe in my research, like, the director was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And they're like, as long as you keep, like, a few key things in, you can change whatever you want. It's revealed, ultimately, that Sumi is actually alone in the house. This is the big reveal, that she's actually alone in the house with her father. That both... The little sister, the younger daughter, and the stepmother are, in fact, both both totally, um, you know, hallucinations. And that um, basically uh, this is Sumi's way of coping um, with the death of her younger sister. And uh, but but the stepmother is a real is a real person. Right. I mean, she is a real actual nurse. Yeah. So that's where I kind of got confused towards the end, where once you realize that the younger sister is no longer with us, and then like when they start like going, like kind of flashing back through everything else that happened, you realize that like the stepmother's erratic behavior wasn't actually the stepmother's. Like, was the stepmother actually at that dinner table telling that weird story, or was it Sumi at the dinner table? Sumi, right. Because so like the the stepmother compared to the rest of like the 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 characters and like the environment, the stepmother was always like really like kind of almost like garishly made up. She always had on really bright colors, that bright red lipstick and everything else around her looked really muted. Yeah, I would I actually just want to shout out the production design was really awesome in this. Like just the in fact, I even felt early on in the movie when, like, the two sisters were sitting by the lake and stuff like that, that it actually almost felt like you were watching a real-life version of an anime. Mm-hmm. And just everything in the house, it, 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 it just, it looked really, it, it was, it's a really, really, really interesting-looking movie. 
Um, and I feel like we might be making it seem, you know, uh, more um, convoluted, although it is somewhat convoluted. Like I definitely had, you know, it was like like Perfect Blue. I wasn't sure what was real and what wasn't. Um, but the end result of is that the uh, the mother hung herself. And um, when the daughter tried to, you know, basically get her down, um, she pulled her, she pulled the whole closet down on top of her and she crushed, she crushed herself to death. Um, and uh, that, I guess, is sort of what, um, you know, drove sort of Sue me crazy. No? Yeah, but let's not forget that the reason why... No, well, that is part of the reason. That is why Sumi snapped. But let's not forget that the stepmother, who at the time was the nurse, having an affair with a terminally ill woman's husband... Right. ...saw the closet on the ground and saw the younger sister struggling underneath it and walked away. And walked away, exactly. So that's part of the reason why Sumi doesn't really business with her because she may not (laughs) like she may not know like the particulars, but she does know that the stepmother was the her stepmother was coming from that direction when that all happened. And the stepmother, all she said was they had a confrontation outside of the the room where the girl was. And all the stepmother said was one day you're going to regret this day. And Sumi pushes back past her and like goes for a walk. And that's the day that, you know, her mother and her sister die. Right. And so, and then at some point, I guess she ends up in in the mental institution. Ends up back there because they send her back. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So I don't know what the original folktale is like, but um, Tale of Two Sisters, I mean, again, this this is the highest grossing uh, horror film in in Korean cinema history. And actually, um, you know, I don't know if people realize, I think Korea has like the like the fifth, you know, largest, um, you know, film industry. I mean, they, they, they make a lot of movies and, um, you know, there's been a, there's been a ton since then, um, including, I guess, our, our, uh, our next, uh, our next movie, which, uh, is the recent, uh, huge hit movie. I think it was like the biggest movie of last year, um, Train to Busan. So I don't know you if you're a scaredy cat. What did you think of this? Okay, first I was excited because the lead actor um, Gong Yu, he's one of my favorite Korean actors. Like I saw um, a drama from with him like five ten years ago, about five years ago maybe ten. I'm um, called Coffee Prince. He was in Goblin like last year. He's a really good actor and he's very nice to look at. So I was like, okay, this this can't be that bad. And then it goes to heck really really quickly. Like the first three minutes in, I was like, seriously. This is what you this is what you guys signed me up for. So wait, you you don't watch The Walking Dead or anything? I don't watch like that? any of that. Like Wow. Shout out to Outlaw Bars. Like for Halloween, we do like a supernatural episode. And when I tell you, it took a lot for me to watch like 12 episodes of a horror anime because I'm a real scaredy cat. Like I don't do jump scares. Like I can do vampires to an extent. I can't do zombies because you're eating people. Oh yeah, yeah. And they're eating people in this. They one. they definitely are, and these zombies are fast. These aren't slow walking yes. zombies. These are fast right. zombies. So so zombie zombie movies and I guess TV shows are divided into there's fast zombies and there's slow zombies, and definitely in Train to Busan it's fast zombies. 
um, which is a whole other, you know, ball of wax. Like fast zombies are in, you know, 28 days later. Slow zombies are in, you know, Walking Dead. Um, otherwise, it would be the Running Dead. And um, I mean, this is essentially snakes on a plane, except instead of a plane, it's a train. And instead of snakes, it's zombies. And so you get like the whole like, you know, um, you know, the sort of disparate group of people, you know, there's like the high school baseball team, the working class dude and his pregnant wife, the like selfish, rich, yuppie guy, um, you know, the elderly women, um, you know, the, you get, you know, it's sort of the, the, the confluence of all different like, uh, you know, groups of society and the main characters are a dad and his daughter. Right. Yeah. Basically, um, he's the he's divorced. Yeah, Gong Yu. Yeah, he's the lead. Um, he's divorced from his wife and his daughter. It's his daughter's birthday. She wants to go see her mother in Busan. So he sucks it up after you know talking to his mother and talking to the girl's mother and talking to the daughter, and they get on the train to Busan. And he's like, oh, like his office is constantly calling him because he's a big, important person at his firm. But what got me was the girl who got on the train. Why did no one notice that this disheveled, sickly girl got on the train? Like she's walking through the train and no one's paying attention to this deathly pale girl who looks like she's like she's panicking, like almost seizing as she walks. Right. So she and she's the the vector. Like she's the one who basically starts the whole thing on the train. Um and she has a, you know, a, in addition to all that, she's got a huge bite wound on her leg. Um and so she's the one that actually starts. She attacks like one of the conductors or whatever and it quickly, you know, it it basically, you know, goes from there. And actually, so no, they're actually not going to Busan at first. Um right? They're they're going somewhere else. And it turns out that the they the train switches to going to Busan because that's the last city that is not, you know, taken over by zombies. So passengers on the train are actually getting updates like through their phones and stuff like that, that this zombie outbreak is going on all over the country. Um, and so it's sort of an interesting um, what was did you see? um it was another Korean film, although it had an international cast that was about uh, this train that's going around the world. It's in the future, and and like the the entirety of humanity is on the train, and the rebels are in the back, and they have to sort of make their way forward. It had Chris Evans in it. Um, he's sort of the star. I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was like a really big movie like a few years ago. A Snowpiercer. So this is like a similar thing where the the people have to get through the train and there's zombies all over. And so in each car, they kind of have to deal with the zombies in a different way. And um, it's kind of the, the cleverness in how they do that. And then they, there's a couple, there's a scene where they switch trains and, um, you know, obviously in each scene, you know, one or two people get, you know, get eaten of our of our sort of main characters um, until it's just the, um, you know, the dad and his daughter and one of the zombies um, and the rich. Oh, yeah. The rich guy is a bastard. Like the rich guy is constantly sort of throwing people in front of zombies and stuff to protect himself. Like even at times when he doesn't need he, to. OK, let me like, let me. Let, let me stop you right here. There's there's that scene where um the father, um the work the the heavy set working class man, like they're trying and like the the baseball playing young man 
are trying to make their way into the car, into the safe car where everybody is. And that rich jerk is like blocking the door or whatever. So one of the grannies gets bitten by the zombie. And she's like, she fights. You can see in her face that she's like fighting to like retain control of herself. But eventually she succumbs to it. So the highlight of the entire movie for me was when the granny's sister was looking at her through the door. She was like, that's my sister. And opens the door and lets all the zombies in. (laughs) Like that was the one time I cackled in the whole movie. So, yeah, so they basically are trying to get, you know, from car to car and keep the zombies, you know, um, quarantined and they do various things, um, you know, so so the, you know, the, the cleverness in the script is sort of the different ways in which they do that. Um, but it ends up with, of course, you know, the the dad ends up sort of sacrificing himself for, you know, to save his daughter and um, there's actually a scene at the end there where the daughter finally makes it to Busan and the uh, they're almost actually killed by snipers who think that the daughter and, um, you know, the other survivor are actually zombies. But then the daughter starts singing um, and that's uh, like that. That's like a um, like a callback to something at the beginning. Yeah, because at the beginning, um, um, the little girl had a recital that her father didn't make it to. And so her grandmother recorded her singing that same song. So she she starts singing because she's terrified and she's sad that her dad just died. And that scene is actually pretty intense, The where the, the, the dad sort of allows himself to get, well, I don't know about allows himself, but sacrifices himself for, for the daughter after having gone through, you know, a whole succession of train cars and actually trains and a fight in the train yard and all that. Um, but eventually, yes. So, I, I mean, you, you, you could argue it has, a, it has a happy ending. I'm not sure. I think they're making a sequel, um, which, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, it was wildly successful. It's on Netflix. Very, very, very hi- highly recommend. Um, that is, that's another, uh, that's another, uh, you know, Korean horror film. Um, you know, I guess, uh, when was, uh, when was Tale of Two Sisters from? Cause this is, this came out last year. Tale, Tale, um, I think that was 2003. Yeah. Two, yeah. Tale of Two Sisters, yeah, exactly. was 2003. So this is, you know, 13 years later. Um, it's definitely, I think it fits in with, you know, I mean, obviously there's been this, you know, huge zombie revival thing that's happened all over the place, you know, with, uh, you know, one of the dead in Cuba. And, um, I mean, just every, every country has to have a zombie movie now, you know, I mean, this is even, you know, not counting, you know, walking dead being the number one basic cable TV show. But, um, train to Busan is like a legit entry in the, in the zombie, um, in, 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 you know, in the general, uh, you know, zombie entry. I think some people put it as like their favorite movie of last year. Um, I'm not sure I would go that far, although I can't think off the top of my head what, what my favorite movie of 2016 was, but um, it's very intense. And uh, again, um, it, it is on Netflix, right? Yes. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. So you can definitely, you can definitely watch that one. Um, jumping back to, uh, to Japan, I feel like we couldn't, uh, you know, I'm nowhere near as versed, 
in anime as the ladies of Outlaw Bars, but even I've seen um, at least most of the first season of Attack on Titan. And if anyone is listening to this just as a normal horror fan and hasn't, um, you know, hasn't really delved into the, the world of anime so much, I mean, I'll let you, Diva, I'll let you, uh, you know, take over. And because uh, Attack on Titan is a very special, uh, <laughs> s- special piece of work. And the, the second season is airing actually right now after, what was it, four years? Yeah, in it took the two them seasons? four gosh darn years to get us and, the second season of Attack on Titan. Right, and these were like, everyone was like, was there going to be a second season? Oh, we knew there was going to be one because after the first season, it was it made too much money for them not to right. do it. And you knew a second season was coming because between season one and season two, you got a two live action movies. You got a three episode um, live action drama series. And you got a spinoff um, anime series, um, Attack on Titan Junior High. So, oh shit, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> so we knew it was coming back, but they were taking so long with it. And actually it was well worth the wait because um, one thing that they did up, they did really well is they cleaned up the animation style because it was really rough in the first season, kind of mirroring the manga-ka's drawing style, which is really rough. So this time it's cleaner, it's crisper, like everything looks so much better. It was well worth the wait. But if you don't know the basic premise of Attack on Titan, um, what has happened is that humanity is under siege um, by these cre- by these creatures called Titans, which are basically giant humanoids with no visible genitalia to be seen. Um, and what they do is they eat humans, what seems to be for fun. They don't do it for nourishment because um, the Titans regurgitate the humans after they eat them and they haven't been digested. So basically humanity has brought itself behind like these three massive walls and they've been safe for about a century. There are whole generations of children who don't know life outside of the walls. And all that changes one day when um, a massive Titan kind of, actually a colossal Titan peeks his head over this massive wall. And that kind of gets it, you know, get this, gets the series started. And now that we're at season two, all types of stuff is happening. You have Humans that can turn into titans, titans that can talk, fast-moving titans. Like, if you want to talk about something that's scary, titans normally, like, lumber about. You have titans that are sprinting now, and that's a scary thing. But it airs every Saturday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Crunchyroll, Hulu, and I believe Funimation or Viz. I can't remember which company has the rights for it. And we talk about it usually Monday afternoons to give everybody a chance to watch it. So I I actually only started watching I I you know I think it was on Netflix that I started watching it about a year ago and then something else came up and I got caught up and so I'm most of the way through the first season and part of the reason why I never got back to it cuz I was like ah oh, well you know I'll wait till the second season comes out and then you know and now the second season is out and so I really need to go back and finish season 1 and get you know caught up with season 2 but I I really liked Attack on Titan I mean it's kind of unlike anything I mean the the just the images you can't get enough of these giant naked you know and they have this giant grin you know on their faces and they're just sort of eating people and vomiting them up and it's um you know and then there's yeah i mean there's there's actual i mean there's more much more to it than that i mean there's plot there's characters there's heroes yeah but let me tell you Um, something scarier than all of that um the manga ka um 
Isayama is his last name, revealed that he's a fan of George R.R. Martin and the Game of Thrones series. Right. Do you know what that means for people like me um, who watch both? It means anybody can die. Anybody can die. Anybody, That's right. Anybody can die. And when I tell you that anybody's been dying. <laughs> In season two? Yeah. I'm like, people that you're not expecting to see go are going. Well, if you read the manga, you're expecting it. But if you don't read, then you're not expecting it. Um, how often do you, when you watch, I mean, how often have you read the manga before you watch a lot of these anime? Um, it depends on the series. So I started Attack on Titan. I watched it first. And then when it went on hiatus, I read the manga. I had four years to read. Right. So And so how far, and the manga takes you much further. Yeah, much, than, much further. So I right. I know what's, ha- what's coming up because they're staying true to source. So it's a fun thing to watch people go, oh my God, I can't believe it. Even if you listen to Outlaw Bars, like Tam and Chopin are like, I don't believe this. Are you sure? I need answers. I know where there are answers. Right, We're not right, reading right, the manga. Right. Then you'll never know. It's hard though. I mean, because even I, you know, like I don't, I, I actually will pick and choose and it's funny, um, you know, like, so I, I had heard of Game of Thrones way before the show started, but then once the show started, I was like, well, I'm not going to read the book. And it is interesting because when I do know the source material, so I, you know, I, I Preacher was one of the first times that something that I had really liked, you know, was being developed as a TV show. And, um, I didn't even really love the American Gods book, but I had read the American Gods book, and I seem to be the only person on the planet who doesn't like the American Gods TV show. Um, but it is interesting. It's kind of hard, um, you know, when you know the source material, um, you know, because I also I had read the first um, like 12 issues of The Walking Dead. But I had a hard time actually tying the characters apart. Um, just the art and the black and white. I just so I sort of lost interest in it. So I basically I watched The Walking Dead, but I'm not you know I'm not up at all on what has happened. You know, in the comic, since, you know, I think they got to Herschel's farm was about where I left off in the comic. And so it is like this interesting thing when you when you actually know when you when you're reading the manga and watching the anime or when you've read the books and watch the TV show, um, because it, it I don't know, it, it is two totally it can be two totally different things and it can be frustrating. So I really enjoyed um, a lot of elements of Preacher. Mostly the cast, um, but I was sort of found some of the choices that they made plot-wise to be bewildering. Um, You know, the entire first season of the TV show is, you know, basically takes place, uh, you know, um, in in the amount of time of like the first issue of the comic, basically. Um, And so it it is a weird thing when when you know both. So I can understand why the other um, the other outlaw bars. Uh, ladies are not in fact uh, watching you know not reading the manga and are just just watching the show um, but anime is slightly different than um than what the u.s does with their live action adaptations like anime for the most part tends to stay true and when they don't it's very clear that it's a deviation but it doesn't usually affect the overall plot because you'll know they're going to get back to the canon material so to speak so if you look at a series like um, a long running one like Naruto, like it pretty much follows the manga pretty closely. But when the author needs time to catch up or if somebody's on vacation, you get filler and then they go back to the main plot. So I think that's part of the thing, because when people read 
when you read, you realize what the filler is and you can ignore it. As opposed to someone who doesn't read, you have to kind of watch all of it all the way through. And then you find out in retrospect that you had filler. No, wait, was Perfect Blue, was that based on manga? Oh, jeepers. I'm actually ashamed to say I don't know. It pro- most likely it was. Um, and I know there's actually a live action version of this as well somewhere. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's going to take a little bit of digging for me to find, but there's a live action version of this as well. Wow. That, wow. I'd be interested in seeing that. Now, I wonder if they have like the same actress playing. No, I guess they wouldn't have the same It all depends on how she looks though. Right. Like if she looks like a pop star, then I can see it happening. Right. Well, all right. I just wanted to give a quick shout out. I haven't seen it in a while, but when you're talking about um, Asian horror, um, I can only uh, house, which is uh, back in 1977, same year that Star Wars and Annie Hall came out. Um, is like the weirdest movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's unlike any other movie. Um, it came out from Toho, which is the major, you know, uh, studio that did all like the Godzilla movies and stuff like that. And ostensibly it's a haunted house movie, but again, it's unlike anything else. And it's about basically a number of, um, sort of schoolgirls uh, go, go on a trip to this house and, um, you know, insanity ensues. I mean, one of the, just the weirdest things about, about it is the, um, just the really, really weird tonal shifts. I mean, it goes from at one point feeling like you're watching Sailor Moon to you're watching, you know, uh, Halloween to, or Friday the 13th, like, you know, literally, you know, from scene to scene to scene, um, the tone switching is so sort of jarring and it's intentional. Um, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to, to and that's actually, that's available. Like I know Criterion Collection put a, you know, put a version of, of, of that out. Um, and so House from 1977, you know, um, just as a, as just a final, final sort of recommendation. But there's definitely, I mean, I will say there's been in the last decade and, and going way back. I mean, I know there's even um, some, some really great, uh, Japanese horror movies like black and white going back to like the 50s and stuff like that but there's definitely a very rich tradition in Asian cinema of horror and so we just wanted to shout that out you know for this month which is Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month and you uh, Deadly Diva are the perfect person <laughs> to, have, uh, to have to have helped us do that so um I don't know when uh, uh, for everyone out there who uh, isn't listening to Outlaw Bars, but should be. uh, When do you guys air? All right. So we air every other Wednesday. So our next episode will actually go up, you know, without any hiccups, hopefully on May 24th. But if you want to get some Twitter time with us before then, we also do a nifty thing called Outlaw Views, where we live tweet anime every other Saturday night. And we're actually... um, we're actually live tweeting this Saturday night um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we're watching um, Helsing Ultimate, which actually fits into theme because it's a horror based. It's a, a vampire based anime. Um, and we watched that off of. handle it? We're, I think right now we're at episode five, I believe. So, so far, so good. It is bloodier than I was expecting, but there's like a lot of really great snark. Some really nifty like BDSM and like sexual overtones in it. 
So it makes it an enjoyable watch. And then they have really, really pretty, really pretty characters, which me and Tam get yelled at for lusting after animated characters. But your kink is not my kink. And that's a-okay. That is a-okay. Absolutely. Everyone, everyone's kink is their own kink. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us. Where can people find you? Um, if you would like to chat with me, which I highly recommend because I think I'm pretty awesome, you can find me on Twitter at Deadly Diva. And uh, as always, I am the Chico Leo uh, on Twitter. And uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us from this uh, very special episode of Scream Squad. And uh, hopefully uh, Jamie will be back next time uh, with a brand new Iron Maiden or electric chair or some kind of new implement for the dungeon. But uh, until then, keep screaming. Keep screaming.